L'audit de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détail sur Audi.fr. Welcome to this episode of Taz Podagogy. Project-based learning is increasingly a divisive topic in UK education, and internationally it also seems to split opinion. Is it an effective way of creating engaged, independent learners, or an inefficient approach that leaves room for students to get lost in the learning process? To help answer these questions and more, John Severs spoke over the phone to Professor Pam Grossman, Dean of the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania and former high school English teacher. Pam, hello. Hello, thank you for inviting me. No, we should have a we should have a lively discussion, I think. So I guess the first question when we're talking about project-based learning is, are we all talking about the same thing when we're talking about project-based learning, be that in academia, in schools, and across different countries? Are we all on the same page, as it were? No, not necessarily. So there are a wide set of definitions around project-based learning, and there's also problem-based learning um, that gets thrown in there as well. And so it's a wide uh, net that captures a lot of different approaches to teaching. Part of the effort in the States over the last couple of years has actually been to agree on a definition of project-based learning and to put out some expectations for what high-quality project-based learning looks like, mm. in fact, uh, to respond to that kind of vagueness around the definition. Do they go? I mean, in the in the US, uh, we got you got high high tech high. You've got um, expeditionary learning schools. You've got quite a lot of high profile schools that are, you know, talking about project based learning. But obviously, they call it expeditionary learning, or they can call it um, problem based learning. Uh, are even those schools aligned in how how they're sort of enacting it? Actually, that's the very thing that we've been researching over the last couple of years. Um, and I, I do think that in the U.S., we're on the opposite end of the pendulum swing than you are. There's a swing away from direct instruction back towards more student-centered instruction and towards project-based learning. So there's a lot of interest right now in project-based learning. In Philadelphia, for example, we have a whole innovation zone of schools that are experimenting with different versions of project-based learning from the Science Leadership Academy, um, which has well-established approaches towards project-based learning, and the workshop school that has all of the kids engaged in projects from their freshman year on. So uh, we, it's, there's quite a resurgence here in addition to high-tech high and expeditionary learning. I think part of what we've been trying to do is to get a better handle on how do we define high-quality project-based learning and what is it that teachers have to know and be able to do in order to enact that vision at high quality. I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because the, the perception of critics is that uh, pro project-based learning involves discovery learning, i.e. the teachers the, um, the sitting by the sideline and, and the kids are discovering knowledge for themselves and it's all very 
hands off. And from my understanding, I don't know how your your research is going through the def- definition of it, but the teacher is very much an active part of project-based learning when it when it's done well. Oh, absolutely. In fact, project-based learning is even more difficult for teachers, I think, than direct instruction because there is so much that you're monitoring. So part of what we've been doing here at Penn GSE is to identify a set of core practices for project-based learning, Uh, learning from expert practitioners and people who've done research in this area, what are the additional things teachers need to be able to do in order to enact project-based learning at high level? You know, just as one example, uh, creating um, collaborative groups, helping groups monitor themselves, helping students develop agency over their own learning, monitoring, you know, the individual projects as well as the collective work. There's a huge amount of work involved in project-based learning. And in fact, that's my understanding of why we get excited about project-based learning and then we critique it because we say students don't learn enough is because we never invest sufficiently in developing teachers' skills and knowledge in that area. So when you're looking for a definition, are, are we talking it takes a, a, a whole paper to, to, to explain what it is or is it easier, is it possible to explain what project-based learning is in, in a couple of sentences? I th- I think it's uh, possible to describe it in a couple of sentences. And as I mentioned, there, there's been an effort here to begin to get a consensus about what that might look like. I think a good definition might be that students work on projects um, that are designed by the teacher to extend their learning around of either a single uh, content area or multiple content areas. Generally, that is a a real-world problem or issue that they're tackling that they feel some sense of ownership around. So there's a sense of authenticity around the learning and that they they demonstrate their knowledge in that area through the project. So the project becomes both a way of learning but also the assessment of that learning. And it, I think I think that's very succinct, and I think it's probably the most succinct uh, explanation I've heard of it. Does, does um, by content do you mean sort of subject based? So this is yeah. usually a cross curricular uh, approach to teaching. Actually, I would say it's both. I think sometimes it's cross curricular, and most often at the elementary levels uh, or the primary levels, it's cross curricular. At the high school level, it's, it could be within a single subject. Um, so we've seen wonderful project-based learning that takes place in a math class um, that has students uh, construct bridges, for example, or develop ways of um, representing a calculus equation that are just within a single subject area. Um, so it's not necessarily, I think that's one of the uh, assumptions about project-based learning that isn't necessarily true is that it's always interdisciplinary. And is there another assumption, I guess, that um, there's no um, knowledge transfer from teacher to student, it's the student discovering knowledge. Is that, in actual fact, is that true? Does the teacher have to impart knowledge as part of the project-based learning approach? I think teachers often impart knowledge as part of project-based learning. I think that's another um, maybe misconception um, mm. that project-based learning isn't pure discovery learning. There is pure discovery learning where the 
teacher might set something up and, and uh, let the kids free. Project-based learning has more structure to it in that, one, the teacher often is setting the project, right? And the project has uh, learning goals within it, content that they're hoping that the students will learn. And teachers will often use direct instruction, um, uh, mini lectures, to help students learn the relevant content they might need in order to successfully um, work on the project or in the midst of doing a project, they might need to impart content um, to help the students move to the next level. So it is the teachers, while the teacher is mostly guiding the student learning, also serves as an important resource for knowledge as well. I guess in the way you described it then, the 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 the, the point of the project-based learning is is part engagement in terms of the authentic task, but also skills like self-regulation, teamwork, the, these sort of skills are coming out. Whereas in a, let's say you, you practice the learning in a, in a quiz or in an essay, it's a different, different type of skill set you're practicing. Exactly. So what I would say about project-based learning is that the goals around content um, are the same. We still want students to learn how to read critically, to write, to learn history, to do all of those things. But in addition, we also hope that they're developing what are often called 21st century skills, uh, the skills of collaboration, teamwork, self-regulation, the ability to um, continue to learn, to know how to learn in a new content area. It's quite interesting that the, the term 21st century skills, I, I, I mean, we've, we've, it's come up quite a few of the podcasts we've done and each time the definition given is quite different to the one that's perceived on, on that term because people say, you know, these are skills we've always needed, why they're not new? And, and the, the response I get from academics regularly is, well, we're not saying they're new, we're just saying they're more important now than they were before. Is that is that your view as well? Absolutely. No, these aren't necessarily new skills. It's that they are uh, even more important, both with the way work is now currently constructed, where the demands are much more for collaboration and teamwork, um, as well as the fact that the you know, things are changing more and more rapidly. So uh, you could prepare somebody for a particular kind of job that might cease to exist, right? So learning how to learn, knowing how to go about learning in a new domain is going to become increasingly important. And project-based learning uh, enables those skills more so than perhaps a, a direct instruction approach. That is the bet. You know, I think that we're still doing the research that would demonstrate that, and part of that is developing good assessments of those skills. So one mm -hmm. of the things that I say that the two things that project-based learning will need in order to succeed over the long haul is one, much more investment in teacher development and teacher learning and supporting teachers as they learn to enact project-based learning well. And the second is high-quality assessments. Um, that are able to assess not only the content knowledge, but also these additional skills that we think come out of project-based learning. And I think we're, again, at a point, and, and my colleague Angela Duckworth here at Penn in the Character Lab is beginning to develop some of those assessments. So I think we're close to a time when we'll be able to do that. Let me just I'll mention one piece of research. Yeah, carry on, yeah. The, the, um, the, there's a, 
there's been some research carried out on the advanced placement curricula, and they redesigned some of the advanced placement curricula, which is an advanced high school curriculum here in the States that comes with college credit, and redesigned several of the courses around project-based learning, and then looked to see whether or not the scores on the AP exam, which are a stable exam, uh, were similar, and then also looked at things like engagement, interested in the subject matter. So I think the results of that study are going to be very interesting. Yeah, and Angela actually has been on the podcast, and she she was saying that getting those assessments would be the key to this, because at the moment, we think intuitively we think this works, but until we can prove it, until it's tangible, People in government or people, um, skeptical teachers don't don't value it. And but the the art the problem is that the the direct instruction, which tends to be very score very highly on academic learning and, and exams and tests, is very tangible. So you have this sort of uneven uh, contest, if you will. That's exactly right, and that's why I put so much emphasis on the assessment as well. As you know, that we're often critiqued about teaching to the test. Well, there's nothing wrong with teaching to a test. It's a good test. It's a good assessment yeah. of what it is we want people to learn. Um, and, you know, I think we're still looking for those really high-quality assessments in other areas. And I guess if we're if we're uh, looking for project-based learning to develop self-regulation skills and to develop resilience and 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 some of those other things, we are making an assumption that they can be taught one and two that uh, they can be developed and that they are things that are not innate in a person. Absolutely, um, I I do think that many of these skills are things that can be developed and encouraged. Resilience would be one. You know that you really help people learn what does it mean to persevere, what does it mean to get feedback and try again. Um, collaboration and teamwork, people can definitely get better at that, right? They need to have the opportunities to try it. They probably will fail at various times, and getting feedback and continuing to develop in that area is again one of the promises, I think, of project-based learning. It's often the thing that kids resist because, you know, uh, it can often be challenging. Um, but I think the goal is to help people get better at uh, working together. And I think one of the, you mentioned earlier the, 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 the amount of teacher skill involved in this. And when I went to one yeah. of the UK schools that's very big on project-based learning or expeditionary learning, as they call it, which is XP school, and I was talking to the teachers, they were saying, this is more work, but we believe the outcomes are 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 more uh, beneficial to the students. Why is it more work? I mean, you you hinted at some of the things earlier. You know, you having to having to sort of invest in 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 different sorts of observation. But could you sort of like describe why it's a more complex job for a teacher? Well, as as opposed to kind of a direct transmission model of direct instruction where you can um, actually plan a lot ahead of time, right? <laughs> a lot of that yeah. is are things that you can plan out before you ever go into the classroom. A lot of what makes project-based learning successful is the more interactive aspects of teaching, right? How do you intervene in a group that isn't working well together? How do you help somebody um, 
who's struggling around the next stage of a project uh, figure out for themselves, not to do it for them, but figure out for themselves what this next step might be. You're constantly having to assess where both individuals and groups are in classrooms that can often be quite crowded. So you need to develop systems of how you assess that. Um, classrooms in many ways are designed to keep students docile, right? Yes. And what we're trying to encourage is autonomy and agency. So how do you, again, uh, develop that in students, particularly if that's not something that schools are well designed to promote? So I think there's a whole range of, uh, again, we've divided these core practices of teaching into different domains that have to do with, for example, issues of authenticity, issues around content learning. Again, the transmission of content learning through direct instruction is fairly straightforward. In project-based learning, you've really got to be tracking. You may have designed a project for certain learning goals, but you've got to watch throughout its evolution that the students are having those opportunities to learn the content. So I think it's quite a bit more work. Um, I think it is very satisfying for teachers when they learn how to do it well because you see that excitement, you see the student agency, you are constantly amazed what the students are able to do. So I think it's for the teachers who have committed to it and are doing it. I think it also works for teacher engagement. Um, because it allows them um, to really, I, I think, see in many ways the the excitement of their students. Do you find in your when you're talking to the teachers as part of your research that are doing this, do they ever talk about behaviour being a bigger challenge in this method of learning? Because it's, as you say, it's because it's sort of non-standard. Because it's a, it's not kids uh, all all concentrating on the teacher. Do they talk about whether the behavior is more challenging or, or whether that whether it requires more investment at the start or, or is it never really mentioned? Oh, no, it is definitely mentioned. And I think that the most one of the most important things about project based learning is developing a classroom community. And so the amount of time, again, teachers need to spend at the beginning of the year really developing the norms and uh, routines that will support this kind of group work and independent work and moving back and forth between different activity structures is critical. And in fact, in our professional development that we provide around project-based learning, the first part is all around developing that classroom culture that will support project-based learning. Because if you don't have that at the beginning, then, you know, it's it's a challenge. And I think that's often what, uh, if teachers haven't invested in that front end of developing those norms, of developing a classroom culture and community that supports this kind of teaching, then it can be uh, hard going. Do you also have to invest in that early stage in teaching kids how to be in a team? So before you let them loose, for example, on the project, is there a lot of metacognitive skills that need to be addressed first before you before you go into that? I think they're definitely addressed I, as, you know, even in the context of the first project of, again, weaving those um, skills of collaboration and teamwork in, and teaching towards some of those. And there was a lot of work on group work in the 70s and 80s that's very relevant uh, for project-based learning. Um, and again, there was good research that showed that group work was actually very effective in supporting student learning and supporting student engagement. So it's it's incorporating much of that into PBL classrooms. 
Do you, I mean, you mentioned that it's in elementary schools and high schools. Do the, if, it, if it starts early with a project-based learning approach, do the kids get sort of acclimatised to that and, and is it easier than, say, trying to introduce it at, at high school and where elementary school might have been slightly different? You know, that's that's my best guess, is that the earlier you start, um, the easier it is to, again, continue and get richer and richer forms of PBL. Because the students are used to it, they have already developed some of those skills and routines and norms for working in a project-based learning classroom. So often high schools are building down into middle schools, um, some of the expeditionary learning schools building up so that you have a longer continuum. Because it's it's really a dramatic break with what most classrooms look like. My own son was in a fairly radically project-based learning class in um, the fourth and fifth grades in his elementary school. And it was it was quite remarkable, but I think so much of what he learned was how to learn on his own, how to look, work with others, how to work on a big project that took a long time, um, skills that as an elementary student um, seemed more normal to him, right? He didn't realize how different they were than what most kids were doing. Is it quite difficult to research this in the sense that uh, do you tend to find teachers who do project-based learning or teachers who are engaged with that method of learning? And if you took a teacher who was a fan of direct instruction, for example, would their enthusiasm and engagement and preconceptions about the approach damage your, your data as such in that situation? Well, it depends probably on what the research question is and what you're mm. trying to look at, right? If you're, um, I think the question of how you make the shift from a successful teacher of more direct forms of teaching into project-based learning in and of itself is a really interesting and important research question. Mm. Um, and, and I'm not saying that project-based learning is the only form of instruction that's successful. I actually think there are many forms of instruction done well that can be very successful for different kinds of goals. Sometimes direct instruction is a very efficient way of transmitting information. Mm. Um, but some of those very things that make you, make you successful in that form of teaching may be roadblocks as you try to engage in PBL. So we've heard a lot of teachers talk about how when they moved into a more project-based school, they've really had to unlearn some things about teaching and learn a very different way of interacting with students in the classroom. And is it, do you, from what you were saying there, you see project-based learning as, as part of a mix of instruction, is that by the same teacher or is that in the same school? You know, if you're a typical student going through a series of lessons, would you, you know, does the research suggest having a bit of, you know, a direct instruction style teacher, then going into some project-based learning and then maybe going into something? Is that is that beneficial? You know, the the research doesn't is silent on that question. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think what we know is that direct instruction can be very successful for certain kinds of outcomes. Project-based learning can be also successful. Both of them um, can be unsuccessful, depending mm. again on how well it's enacted, and also probably for different kinds of learners. Um, I think the goal, however, is to help students learn in different ways. Uh, and provide teachers with a variety of approaches and tools that they can use in developing a curriculum. So again, we have a huge variety in the states of schools that are entirely project-based. Um, 
others that might have some teachers who are engaging in project-based learning, um, whereas the rest of the classrooms are not. That was the case of my son's experience. That was the mm -hmm. that was the teacher who was primarily doing that. Um, so you have a whole range. The question is, how can you be successful in those different settings? And I guess when you're when you're a researcher going into those situations, the variable the variables just just mount up. I mean, you you said that project based learning, you know, has has got some really good outcomes. Um, do you have to then taper that response and say, is it is is part of the questioning process? Is this better than alternative A or alternative B? Or can we look at it in isolation and say, no, we are looking at just project based learning, and for these kids, it worked. Are they two different questions, I guess, is, it, is my question. <laughs> well, there was, you know, actually, I'll go back in history to when they were doing a lot of research around discovery learning, which we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. So uh, Lee Kronbach, who was a very famous professor at Stanford and uh, professor of evaluation and research methods, was looking into the uh, impact of discovery learning as opposed to other kinds of learning. And one of his arguments was that if you want to study those two things, you have to look at really high-quality examples of both. You can't compare really high-quality project-based learning to low-quality direct instruction or vice versa. He had a great analogy. He said it's you can't compare, you know, if you want to compare two camels, you want to find the best, uh, or if you want to compare camels and horses, you want to find the best example of a camel and the best example of a horse, not find, you know, two camels and cut the hump off one of them. <laughs> you really yeah, want exactly. to find the best example. And I think that's been part of the challenge is, again, finding um, situations where you've got high quality teaching on the same content area with similar kinds of kids but that differ only in the mode of instruction. And that's quite tough that's to find, you, I imagine. That's, that's what you'd need, um, and it's difficult to find that, you know, uh, in, in any school. Do you think that's where some of the misconceptions about project-based learning have come about? Because you have, you know, very high-profile academics talking about direct instruction and saying, look how much better than project-based learning it is, but then we don't actually know what, what basis that comparison is, is made on. Right. Right. And and often it's not a it's not a comparison. They're comparing different kinds of studies and there hasn't been nearly um the same kind of research on project-based learning that there has been on direct instruction. Mm -hmm. And then again, the question is always good for what and for whom. Yeah. And, and making sure that so direct instruction is very good for teaching basic skills. You know, that's been a consistent finding. Um and but not so good necessarily for teaching higher order thinking. Not so good necessarily. It might be very good around teaching um, arithmetic. Maybe not so good at teaching algebraic problem solving. So you know, again, it's it's figuring out what it's good for and for whom. And how valid do you think is the the efficiency argument? I and mean, this is quite a big issue in the UK at the moment. And saying, well, if it's too hard and it takes too long. Why bother with project-based learning? We can we can get this all done really quickly and really efficiently with direct instruction. It's quite a, an economic argument, if you like, about education. But do you see validity in that? Well, again, I I think that if there's some um, 
some area that you want to transmit efficiently and it's a small body of content or skills that you want somebody to learn, that is a very efficient way of teaching. And again, then I would argue for doing it as well as possible and making sure that teachers know how to do it well. But I think if you want to teach kids how to take an ill-formed problem and work on it and figure out how to work with others in um, doing something that might have real stakes out in the community, that's going to take a different kind of teaching, right? So there are different goals in many ways. Mm -hmm. And if we think that those are valuable, then we might have to think beyond direct instruction. It's interesting, isn't it? You're right, because the, the, the goals of education will shift the instruction. And, and, and actually, when do we ever sit down and agree what our goals of education are? Could, would we ever agree? <laughs> well, in the U.S., we don't agree. <laughs> yeah. And there are many, many purposes. And again, that's one of the reasons that um, I think it's often hard hard to agree. Um, but I think we're at now in a moment where we're thinking that the nature of work, the nature of the kinds of problems that we're facing as a society, the challenges facing voters are very complex. Um, and it's going to take uh, the ability to deal with very uh, complex, ill-conceived problems um, and really think them through, really kind of try to figure out various approaches to them that are you know that ha that have really raised the demands, I think, on what we expect from education. And I guess the the other issue I want to talk to you about is is teacher retention. And uh, one of the things you get in the UK, we, I mean, our, our, we have a big retention problem in the UK. But from research I've done, I know that in the US there's a retention problem in in teachers keeping teachers as teachers, and and in Australia and, and several other places around the world. And the big things that come out are behaviour and workload. But I wonder if actually finding your your niche as a teacher finding your method of instruction you're most comfortable in is a big part of enjoying your job and if we're quite mono in in the way we expect teachers to teach is is that going to become is that already an issue and will it become more of an issue well i certainly think that helping teachers get better um early in their career and helping them uh feel the rewards of teaching, which are, you know, any teacher will tell you are incredible when you get there, um, I think is really important for retention. I think the first couple of years are so difficult often, um, particularly if people haven't been well prepared that, uh, you know, after a couple of years of struggling, uh, they may say that's enough. But we know that it takes at least three years for people to develop a stable teaching repertoire. And so uh, actually when I was still at Stanford, I started a program for early career teachers in underserved schools called the Hollyhock Fellowship, which was really aimed at teacher retention of thinking that people who were in those years from, you know, about year three to year six, where they're at high risk of leaving, um, and they're in schools that really need good teachers. So how do we think about investing in the teachers to really help them develop a community, um, develop their own skills, be more successful, um, so that they'd be more likely to stay and getting them over that hump? Um, and so far, it's been very successful at keeping people keeping people in. And I think that, um, again, thinking about better ways of supporting teachers, of helping them succeed, of creating more of a sense of community around the work um, will do a lot to keep teachers in the profession. 
do you think it has to for, for your project and in general is is does teaching have to be a broad church ideologically because you know it's it's such a huge profession that if you're forcing teachers into a particular way of teaching are you inevitably going to um disenfranchise i guess is the word some some of those teachers I think that's a great great question. I've actually never thought about it in those terms. I do think um as in clinical psychology, I actually have studied related professions. And clinical psychology would be another example of a profession um that has lots of different theories and lots of different treatments and mm. different approaches to therapy. And uh professional education uh, varies a little bit in how they prepare people for that, but often they'll say, you know, even if you have a have one particular form, maybe Rogerian therapy that you are particularly attracted to, you need to learn some of these others because there will be clients who will benefit more from cognitive behavioral therapy. But you'll probably specialize in one of these. Um, and there is uh, research that shows that there's also a foundational set of skills in terms of building a relationship with the client that are absolutely foundational. And if you have that, actually, many therapies might work. If you don't have it, nothing works. And, you know, I think in some ways teaching is similar, that one of the most important skills we need to prepare teachers with is that ability to build a relationship not only with individual students but with the class. That's the building the class community that's mm. so foundational. That supports any kind of teaching, right? You need to have that in order to be successful. But then I think there are teachers who are who are very good, um, you know, outstanding at project-based learning who might not be so good or satisfied by other forms and vice versa. Again, because we've got lots of different learners in our classrooms, I think encouraging teachers to develop a broader repertoire, even if they've you know, specialized in one, so to say, I think is helpful. Um, so we worked with an incredible teacher who was really very good at teaching writing, teaching reading, very good at direct instruction, but she almost never had her students talk. Okay. But the standards are now about classroom discussion, right? They're in, in our standards in the U.S., the Common Core standards are all about classroom discussion, getting kids to engage by talking with one another. And she had to begin to stretch her repertoire to bring more student talk into the classroom. And because she had so many other skills, once she started doing that, it really took off. And it was really rewarding for her because she got to hear all of the different student ideas that she hadn't been hearing, see the kids learn from each other as well as from her. And it was enormously – she was a, a very experienced teacher, but it was very rewarding for her as well to develop this new uh, repertoire. So again, I think that while we might have teachers who are uh, who are more comfortable within one mode of teaching or another, helping them stretch, helping them think about how do you build some of this into your classrooms, ultimately will serve more kids. I think that's a, a nice uh, democratic way of looking at it as well. I mean, there are lots of Teachers can end up in schools where it's very top down from the from the head teacher about how it should be taught, but that's a great argument for why being ideologically broad can be beneficial in so many ways, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I guess my last question then is: if 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 teachers listen to this have never even thought about project based learning, is and they and they've been persuaded to give it a go, is it about that investment in in the first stages of sort of um, 
metacognitive skills and building up the 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 class and culture and then and as long as you've got those two play in play just give it a go <laughs> well i think it also helps to have a good project so okay, yeah. there's lots there's lots and lots of resources online again i don't think teachers have to build all of these from scratch mm. um and i think the more high quality curriculum the high quality projects that are there um that you can build from so again part of the part of the investment in project-based learning is also finding things that are authentic challenges within a community, within a school, within a city that kids can actually be contributing towards. So some of that is going to be local knowledge. How do you find something that's um, an issue around the environment or an issue that the kids uh, around political engagement that the kids are very um, can be very engaged in? But I think there's also lots of resources online. Um, and in groups like Expeditionary Learning um, or the work that we've been doing here at Penn PBL or at High Tech High where there's resources that teachers can, can use to, um, to get started. Excellent. Thank you very much, Pam. Great. Thank you. Thank you.